Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Good morning. Can we try that again? Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, why don't you open your Bibles if you have one? and uh, turn to Matthew's Gospel. Um, it's just in the New Testament, the first, the first book of the New Testament. And we're gonna study together in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 18. And uh, it, I think it's incredibly pertinent in a week when we come together um, to imagine what a new Scotland would look like. Whatever you thought and whatever you voted, it's a new opportunity for us to imagine what a nation would look like um, what, what, what the role of the church in a nation would look like. It's, it's incredibly pertinent that we're studying the kingdom parables or the parables of the kingdom of God. Because God says, there is a rule and a reign where I am and where everything that I want happens, where my grace and my righteousness and my peace and my love, it just flows. That's, that's the place of the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about it. And I imagine that that's what we dream for our nation. Is it not? We want a place where God rules and reigns. We want a place where what he says goes. We want a place where people live and operate and act in a way that honors God. And so we've got a series called Parables because we're teaching in the parables. And uh, basically, it's taking a look at Jesus' eye view, or God's eye view, or God's take on life. What does God have to say about the life that we live? What does God have to say about the life that you walk through? What does God have to say about this world? And how do we connect with that? Jesus is a, a metaphorical theologian, which is a very complicated way of saying he tells stories. He's always telling stories. Or he's, or he's embodying in his life actions that make us think, aha, that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God. And so today we're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about what it means to forgive and, and why we don't forgive. So let's read together from uh, Jesus' parable of the unmerciful servant. Verse 21. So Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he begun the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to pay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, 
and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as he had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Shall we pray? Father, we, we still have this incredible thought that this word is your word, that it's living and it's active and it's gonna speak into our hearts and it's gonna change our lives. And so, so we come with open hands and open hearts, open ears, open minds to listen to the truth of your word and we say with as much ability as we have that what you say we will do we will move according to your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever got stuck? I mean really physically stuck. There is nothing like the blind panic that you feel when you get a body part stuck somewhere that it shouldn't be. You know, if you, if, when you're a kid, if you've got your head through railings or because most kids try these things, don't they? You've got your hand stuck somewhere you shouldn't get, got your arm stuck somewhere. Have you ever tried, girls, have you ever tried on someone's ring that you shouldn't have tried on? Yeah, and then you can't get it off. And then it's, really, it's, it's, it's mortifyingly embarrassing because you've got to get this, none of you, just me then. <laughs> have, you ever done, you know, have you ever done that thing when you got stuck? What, do, what happens when you get stuck spiritually? You ever got stuck spiritually? Yeah, just kind of, you were going along so well and then something happened or, or you just didn't seem to make any progress or you, it seemed like two steps forward and two steps back or even two steps forward, three steps back. It's like shoveling snow in a blizzard, you know, just kind of you're doing stuff and nothing seems to happen. What does it look like to get stuck spiritually? Jesus seems to suggest in, in many of his teachings that one of the main things that gets us stuck spiritually is our inability to receive forgiveness and our inability to give forgiveness. Why? Because God is all over forgiveness. He's, he's completely for forgiveness. His DNA is forgiveness. It's who he is. He's a, he's a forgiver at his very heart. So when we fail to receive forgiveness, when we fail to live in forgiveness, when forgiveness doesn't come out of our lives, we find it really difficult to relate to the God whom our spiritual life is all about. And so we get stuck because someone did something to us. Someone hurt us. Someone should never have done that. There are things that have been done to you that should never have been done to you. There are things that have been said that should never have been said. There are mistakes that have been made that should never have been made. But until we can move on from that stuff, we just get stuck by it. And it limits us when we're supposed to be lifted. And it restricts us when we're supposed to run. And unforgiveness is the root of 
bitterness and it's the root of anger and it's the root of competition and it's the root of jealousy. It's the root of all that kind of stuff because we didn't find a way to move on from the thing that was done or the way it was done. God is all over forgiveness. In Psalm 103, the, the, um, the psalmist David writes, he forgives all our sins. There is nothing he cannot forgive. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. You don't get what you deserve. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our sins from us. So far behind his back. Jesus is named for forgiveness. His name will be Jesus. It means he will save his people from their sins. That's his name. He's the forgiver. And he says it's our greatest need. On one occasion, Jesus is uh, teaching in his hometown in Capernaum. And he gets there and, and, and there's big crowds gathered because the hometown boy who done good came home. And he, and, and he gets into this house. It's a small house. And people gather so quickly that there's a crowd that there's no one else can get in because Jesus is speaking. And they say he heals people. Something's going on. And then... And then Four guys bring their best friend to Jesus. He can't walk and they, they're hoping that a healing will happen. But they can't get in. And so they climb up the outside of the house. There are steps. And they get onto the flat roof. The roof is made of sticks and straw and mud. And it's baked in the Middle Eastern sun. And, and, and they decide the only way to get into this building is to dig through the roof. Which you wouldn't think of, but they did. And they started to dig. And Jesus teaching. And everyone's listening to Jesus. And then suddenly no one's listening to Jesus because everyone's looking up. Sticks and straw and mud start to fall. It's crazy stuff. And then suddenly someone begins to get lowered down through the roof. And a guy on a stretcher is face to face with the savior of the world. I think it was funny. I think Jesus maybe giggled. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But there is this moment of encounter and Jesus is about to say something and everybody is gathered and he's got them exactly where he wants them and everyone knows what he's going to say because they've come for a healing. They've heard Jesus heals people. They know he's the savior of the world or that's what he claims and they know what he's going to say and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's disappointed. I mean, it's almost offensive. Here's a guy, everyone knows why he's come. He's come for healing. He wants to be able to walk again. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then the, the, the teachers of the law are sitting there saying that this is offensive because only God can forgive sin. And now Jesus has got everyone where he wants them because he wants to shine a light into their lives and say, your greatest need is not always your felt need. Your greatest need is not to walk. Your greatest need is to be forgiven. That's really weird for us. Because none of us get up in the morning and say, what I need to, today is forgiveness. We get up in the morning and think, what I need is an extra few hours sleep or a coffee, a really big one, four shots. 
or, or so, that's what we think, don't we? Or, or, or we, we don't come into this world thinking what we need is forgiveness. We come into this world thinking what we need is relationship, what we need is love, what we need is money, what we need is success, or something like that. But we don't think what we need is forgiveness. But Jesus says your greatest need is forgiveness because the only way in which you can be reconciled to your heavenly Father, the only way in which you can walk according to the, the Maker's design, the only way in which you can have life in all its fullness, the only way in which you can have wisdom is to be forgiven and to be restored. Jesus is all about it. You can't walk with Jesus. Not not really. Unless you understand what it means to receive forgiveness and then live in forgiveness yourself. So Jesus tells a story. And let's read it through. Take your Bibles out. Let's check out that I'm not making this up. Jesus says there was a man, there was a king who began to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, as he began this settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, now we don't get all this, but one talent in Jesus' day was a vast sum of money. In, in a whole year, all the taxes collected in Judea and Samaria to go to Rome added up only to 600 talents. So this is a stack of money. Here in this translation, 10,000 talents. What, I think what Jesus is doing is just picking the biggest number he can think of. I don't think there's a lot of science here. I think Jesus is just going... Let's say 10,000 talents. It's like when we were kids, we would go, you know, I'm going to earn a trillion pounds. We didn't know that in those days that trillion was a number that existed. Now we do. But back in those days, we just, I'm just going to earn a trillion pounds. And Jesus is saying, he owes, let's say, 10,000 talents. And everyone's going, well, that's crazy. No one owes 10,000 talents. Actually, he's just saying it's massive. You say, you've got an incredibly generous king and you've got a very, very stupid servant who's blown an infeasibly large amount of cash. And the king is a king who settles accounts. How many of you owe anything to anybody? Put your hand up. I mean, come on. How many of you are not going to put your hand up for whatever I say today? Do you, how, let's, try, let's try something different. How, how many of you owe nothing to anybody? You owe nothing. Okay, excellent. So let's assume everyone owes... Sam owes nothing to anybody. He's never done anything wrong. He's never... <laughs> so, okay, so some, 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 some of you owe nothing. Brilliant. Some of you, most of you owe something to somebody. There is a formula and there is a philosophy that we all know. It goes like this. It's coming up on the screen. You owe, you pay. That's right, isn't it? Basically. And there aren't very many philosophies that say you owe, you don't pay. You owe, you pay. Ask any loan shark, ask any building society, ask any brother. You owe something, you pay something. And that's the economy that Jesus starts to speak about. You owe, you pay. The servant knows the score. And Matthew's writing, he knows about settling accounts because he's a tax collector. That's what they do. So the time came for the pronouncement of the judgment. And the king says, sell him. Sell his wife, sell his children, and all they have. Which sounds to us to be incredibly harsh because we live in Britain today. But that was just a normal thing. Everyone would expect it. You know, if you can't pay the debt, you have to be sold into slavery. And actually what you do is you sell the whole family into slavery 
That's what happens. And so the whole family has gone into jail. Look at verse 26. The servant falls on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And we think, no, you won't. You owe 10,000 talents. That's like a small European national debt. You don't, you don't, you know, and you're a servant. This this doesn't compute. You're talking rubbish. You're not going to pay back anything. The king is settling accounts. And Jesus says in verse 27 that the king is moved with compassion. He looks at this fool and he's moved with pity. And he does two things. In the original text, he does them in this order. First, he releases the man. No prison, no family in jail. And then secondly, he forgives the debt. Now, now you've got to think about this for a moment. Because this is a small European economy of debt. This is a trillion pounds. This is a huge amount of money. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to take the loss. Who pays? The king pays. And what he's doing is he's, he's, he's entering us into, he's, he's offering a whole new system of debt management. So instead of you owe, you pay, he says you owe, I'll pay. It's called grace. It's how it works. You owe a stack of money. But I'll take the hit. I'll pay the unpayable debt. I'll take the loss. I'll take the whole price on myself. You can go free. It's called grace. Let's pause for just a moment because this is my story. And I guess for many of you, it's your story. It's a story of grace. One day the king came to me and he said, you owe, I'll pay. Do you remember that day? The the, the day when all the things that you had done and all the ways that you had been that had been in rebellion against God and every way that you had run and every time you'd stuck God in the rearview mirror and driven away and every time you said you'd do it yourself, you met God in the form of Jesus. And he said, you owe, I'll pay. And everything you owed and everything you could never pay was dealt with and it was wiped clean. It's called grace. And that's the economy we get to live in. And then something really, really disturbing happens in the story. Jesus says something that's so offensive that when we first read it, we think, no, no way. Verse 28, when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii is like the price of a fish supper. So basically, we're looking at small European economy of debt, fish supper. So he comes out of jail, he's been forgiven the whole thing, and he meets someone who owes him a fish supper. And the fellow servant says precisely the same words to him, falls on his knees, begs him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back everything. And and we know what's going to happen. Because this guy has been introduced to a new economy, hasn't he? And you know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to go, fish supper schmupper. You know? He's just going to go, whatever. 
I've just been set free. I've just been forgiven 10,000 talents. This is incredible. I'm just living it up. All I've received, you receive. Go live. Go figure. This is incredible. Let's have a party. In fact, I'm buying everyone fish suppers. It's going to be amazing. That's not in the actual passage, but that's basically what he should have said. He's going to laugh it off. You know, you owe, I'll pay. New economy. But instead, look at verse 28. He grabbed him. He seized him by the throat. And he forced him to pay. And he sends him off to jail. Stupid slave. I mean, he's received the most amazing grace, but he's not bought into the grace economy. He hasn't got forgiveness. He hasn't understood that when you step into this kingdom, you get to live this kingdom for everybody else. He's, he hasn't understood that you can't receive stuff that you're not willing to get. He just hasn't got that kind of thing. And, and verse 31, the servants are so disturbed because this is unnatural, this is wrong. Take him away, the king says. Throw him in the prison. Leave him there. Hand him over to the jailers and the torturers. You should have lived the economy of grace but you chose the economy of rights. You chose the economy of justice. See, here's the thing that we gotta get. You can't live two economies. You just get to choose one. And here's what happened. When, when you got saved, when you got freed up, at that moment, you were living in, in something we might call the economy of rights. I'm gonna do it my way, I have my rights, I'm going to earn my way into the kingdom. I'm going to do my stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to live for my, myself. I'm going to judge people. I don't have to forgive anyone. I don't have to forgive. I don't have to live in that kind of... And, and Jesus rescued you from that. So down here, let's try this, shall we? Down here is the economy of rights. You're just living your own thing. Jesus lives up here in the economy of grace. And Jesus stepped down into the economy of rights, put on skin, moved into the neighborhood, and rescued me from all my rights and all the consequences of my rights. And he took me up into the economy of grace, where I get to live love and compassion and joy and peace and justice and, and all the things that are consistent with the kingdom of God. And every time I meet out forgiveness and love and grace and compassion and mercy, I get to dwell with Jesus and do all the things that Jesus does. But every single time, I decide instead to live on my rights. Every time I just choose to not give you forgiveness, every time I choose to not give you love and not give you grace and to think the worst of you, I'm basically stepping down into the arena of rights where the jailer lives. The territory of the enemy of God. And so no wonder what happens is I get imprisoned by this stuff. And I find it difficult to live in grace. I find it difficult to live in love. I find it difficult to live in joy. And it feels like two steps forward and two steps back. And here's the problem. We want to live in two economies. There's nobody here who doesn't want to live the economy of grace. You want to live love and joy and peace and grace. And you want to live in a relationship. You want God to forgive you everything. You don't want him to hold anything against you. You want to be free. You want to be free. You want to be free. But you want other people to get their just desserts. 
don't you? And they did something to you they should never have done. They did something that's abhorrent and they should pay for it. You can't live two economies. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't want to live here and choose to live here and, and expect not to get what you're going to get. Which economy are you going to live? And how's it going to work? Here's the personal thing. We, um, we have all at different times chosen rights. All of us. And most of us, when we do that, we reap the whirlwind. That's why we're stuck. That, that's why at times we're so negative. Because we're eating at the tree of rights and not at the tree of grace. <laughs> that's why we're full of judgment. Because we're living in the arena of rights and not in the arena of grace. That's why we find it so difficult to move on. That's why we're not happy. That's why we're prone to finding fault. Because we're trying to live in two economies. Do you know what? I have been forgiven a mountain of debt. You don't even know. And you have hurt me. And I choose grace. I forgive you, and I free you, and I free me. You owe me nothing. I, I, I cancel my IOU that I've written in my heart to you. You go free, and so do I. Whatever has been done, and I know this is hard, but hear this very, very clearly. Nobody has harmed us as much as God has forgiven me. Nobody has harmed us as much as God has forgiven us. And forgiveness is the key to your prison. It's the key to your freedom. It's the key to you walking in life. It's the key to you running with God. It's the key to you moving ahead. It's the key to you having life in all its fullness. It's the key to you getting unstuck. Just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, I'm going to suggest that we might take a moment where we think of those. And you know, it's very easy to sit there and say, I've got no one that I have to forgive. I'm perfectly free. Um, but you know, I think that sometimes, and then someone says something or does something, and I think, whoa, I still hold things over you. Or even worse, you know, I was really hurt in a church back in Leeds, back in the day. And uh, for years, it took me years and years and years of thinking that I dealt with that and forgiven people. There would be people who would walk in the same way or people who would say similar phrases, or people who would even look a bit like the person that hurt me, and I would find myself completely backing off and dismissing them and getting defensive. And nothing to do with the person, it was to do with something that I happened that I hadn't dealt with, that I hadn't worked through, and yes, I could probably give you a reason and justification why they hurt me more than I hurt them, but the reality was this, we were both stuck, because I wasn't able to live in the economy of grace. 
So in just a moment, we're going to be quiet. I'm going to give you an opportunity to think of those that you need to forgive and those that you need to release. There may be some heinous things that have been done, but they continue to be done until you release them. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to forgive yourself. Because often it's actually us that we need to forgive. So actually, I can't move on from the fact that I did that. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to, uh, to think about your relationship with God because sometimes we blame him. And it's him we need to kind of forgive for it not working out the way we thought it should have worked out. And then Hannah's going to come and lead us in a prayer. So let's just be quiet for a moment. Jesus, wherever we stand with you today, we really want to be free. And we really want to live in the economy of grace. If that's possible. So would you bring to mind those that we need to forgive? Would you bring to mind areas where we need to forgive ourselves? And now bring to mind, Father, any place where we have held things over you. And help us to forgive. Maybe in in the quietness in your own head, it's helpful just to say the name of the person or the situation and then tell them they go free. I forgive you totally. You owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. I choose to live grace. 